I think we've covered that theme pretty well today so far. But this is one of the most powerful culminating moments in all of Christian scripture. It is so significant that it's been celebrated and acknowledged throughout Christian history, and we continue that tradition today. So in Judaism, Pentecost is an ancient festival known as the Feast of Weeks. It commemorates when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And this Jewish Pentecost occurs during Passover, another ancient Jewish tradition. So in today's reading, the apostles and the followers of Jesus were already celebrating Pentecost. They were celebrating this festival, the Feast of Weeks, when the Holy Spirit descends on them, bringing about this spiritual encounter, the spiritual high, so powerful and inexplicable that a lot of people thought they were all just drunk. But this is a significant image to try and, and visualize, which is why I really wanted you to just attempt to put yourself in the story before I read it. But really think about it. The very Spirit of God poured in, on, and around all of Christ's followers, emboldening them to live and speak and work on his behalf. This is the beginning, like Joe said, of a movement. And it's made even more powerful by its radically inclusive nature because no one was excluded. No one was excluded from this divine gift. All people, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of status, were empowered to move forward together as one, as the living hands and feet of Christ on earth. Pentecost took place 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And 2,000-ish years later, we still mark this occasion by celebrating 50 days after Easter. Each and every year, Pentecost reminds us of the day the Spirit was poured upon the people because it marks the beginning of the church, the body as we understand it. And it really all started with this spiritual high moment of Pentecost, or so they say. Dun, dun, dun. Are you so excited? <laughs> I'm trying to make the Bible interesting, like bear with me here. <laughs> the traditional reading for Pentecost is the second chapter of Acts, which I just read, but I say this over and over again, we have to consider the entire context whenever we engage scripture, and today's no different. So in today's reading, what happens right before Pentecost is significant. If you look at chapter 1 in Acts, it gives the details of Jesus' ascension into heaven. Again, I want us to jump into this story and try to put yourself in the narrative. So reflect on this. After the resurrection, Jesus comes to be with his disciples, his friends, for a bit longer. Can you imagine the relief they felt, the excitement and the peace, just the peace of mind, knowing that the tangible Jesus they knew and loved was back with them bodily? But then he leaves again. He ascends, and this is what we see in chapter Acts 1. So you can go back and look at that if you're interested. And once he leaves, his followers are left alone to figure it out, to figure out the work of God in the world without him once again. 
But before he ascends, Jesus promises them that they won't be alone, that the Spirit of God will be poured out among them and in them. Still, do we really think they understood what that meant? Like, we read it in hindsight, so it's like, oh, yeah, that, that, okay, that makes sense, even though it doesn't even make sense now. Can you imagine how they felt? Like, what does that even mean? You're leaving, but you're going to give us this spirit. Like, it's kind of creepy, right? And so there's this space in between the period when Jesus ascends and before the spirit comes— It's as if there's this valley between two spiritual peaks of Ascension and Pentecost. I call it the Valley of the Ordinary. So what are they supposed to do during this time? What would you do if you were them? According to the text, the disciples pray. And they don't just pray. It says... In Acts 1.14, they devoted their lives to prayer. They didn't know what happened. They really didn't understand what was to come. And so they decided to devote their lives to prayer. Between these two incredible moments of Ascension and Pentecost, moments we still celebrate today, is their real life, the reality of the ordinary, everyday stuff. And we understand this probably better than Ascension and better than Pentecost. We understand the nitty-gritty real life because we know based on our own experiences that when we devote ourselves in these ordinary moments to being people of God, we will inevitably have moments of growth, moments of revelation, but compared to, to reality, just the norm, Those moments are few and far between, right? But today we're reminded that what we do in the meantime matters. In a lot of ways, Pentecost represents those high points we know. Think back to what you thought about at the beginning of the sermon. Pentecost kind of sums that up, the high points we will know on our spiritual journeys. These moments are so powerful that they tend to carry us for a time, right? They renew our faith. They change the way we understand or engage with God. They can be so transformative, but like any spiritually significant moment, they aren't the norm, right? They won't last forever. Every day isn't Pentecost. We read about these believers in today's text and how this moment shaped the future of the early church. In this very moment that we read about in Acts 2, there are no barriers to understanding each other. There's no litmus test for who's in or who's out. And later in the same chapter, we read about the first church and how they did everything together. They they prayed together. They broke bread together. They shared everything they had. And yet at the same time, if you've read the Bible, if you've read the epistles, we know that these people weren't perfect. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of division, and hard times among the first believers. Every day isn't Pentecost. So even for us as a church, we celebrate Pentecost today, but after that, if you look in in the liturgical calendar, we've got Trinity Sunday next week, but after that, it's ordinary time in the liturgical calendar. And it's ordinary time for the rest of the summer and almost the whole rest of the fall all the way until the first Sunday of Advent in December. We are literally entering into this intentional, ordinary time, and we are left in our own 
ordinary times as well, meaning the day in, day out of our normal lives. But we are reminded that what we are doing now matters, right? So how we treat every moment of our day can make all the difference. Imagine if the disciples had just gone on with life after Jesus ascended, but left prayer out of it. Just like, okay, well, I guess he's gone. (laughs) Would there have been room for the outpouring of the Spirit that was to come? They had to create the room. Prayer, which I define as communion with God, and I love my definition of it because it means that there are lots and lots and lots of ways to pray, to engage with God. But prayer gives us the space we need for the spirit that's already in us to to work in us. It empowers us, it speaks to us, it drives us. But the way that we hear it is by communing with God and being in tune to that voice. So every time we pray, we become not just close to Christ, but we become more like Christ. And this empowers us to do the work of Christ here and now. We're not waiting for for earth to become like heaven. We're doing the work. We're bringing the kingdom of God to earth now. So we, we seek to be like Christ. And Jesus, he prayed all the time. Like if you go back and look through the Gospels, everything he does revolves around prayer. When he was baptized, he prayed. After his miraculous healings and feedings, he goes off by himself to pray. Jesus is described as having come from praying on the cusp of many important teaching moments. And when he knew the time had come for him to be betrayed, he retreated to the Garden of Gethsemane and spent the whole night in prayer. He prayed while he was enduring the events of the Passion, and even his last words being, before being crucified were prayer. So basically, all the high points of Jesus' life and ministry are surrounded by and drenched in prayer. And it makes me think that if there is one thing that Jesus would have wanted his followers to emulate, one thing that would sort of help guide the rest to do, it would be a life devoted to prayer, communion with God. And this is the posture we see Christ's followers take immediately before the Pentecost occurs. I believe their openness to prayer made way for their openness to receiving God's very spirit. And I also believe that this is the same nugget of truth that is the same for us today. Pentecost is about marking something big, the work of God in the world through the spirit. And if there were ever an opportunity to start afresh with our perspective on the importance of prayer, let it be now. In this valley of typical moments, on this very ordinary day that we choose to to celebrate, let it be now. There are so many ways to pray, and most of them don't have to be taught. Most of them are intuitive ways of listening in the world, of being mindful of the moment you're in. Prayer can be anything from complete silence to movement, redemptive activity in the world. Last year, we did a really cool summer series on prayer called Full Spectrum, and I highly recommend you go to our website, to the sermon page, to the archives, and look for those sermons because I thought that they gave a lot of ideas and tangible tools for prayer. But the point of this today, because I know you know that prayer is important, right? This is just a reminder, a reminder that I need, that I feel like we all need every once in a while. 
The point is not to teach you how to pray, but rather just to emphasize that we pray at all, that we let prayer be the natural part of our daily lives, that it's created to be because we have the Spirit of God in us. We don't have to force it, but we just open ourselves up to the posture of it so that we can see the many ways we can engage with God day in and day out. And this is why I want to do the prayer of examine with you today, because it's a good mix of practical and mystical. Because at the heart of this prayer is the understanding that the sacred is woven into the mundane moments of every day, that the holy can be found right smack in the middle of the ordinary. We know this intellectually, but it's a practice to really see it in our lives. So this prayer is a lot, well, prayer in general is a lot like recognizing the divine human connection in all things, in all moments, and leaning into that. It's not creating something new. It's leaning into what's already there. When we think of prayer this way, it transforms our relationship with God because we realize God's just present. God's here, like right now. We just realize that the real challenge is for us to be present, to dwell in those moments as well. So this prayer that we're going to practice, it's going to be really brief. It's called the Prayer of Examine, and it's an ancient form of prayer that's designed to become a daily habit. And it's especially helpful in the ordinary times because it's about reflecting just on your present and your most, your immediate past. And so the method that we're using is adapted from a technique described by St. Ignatius of Loyola in his work spiritual exercises, if you want to look that up. But basically more than 400 years ago, St. Ignatius encouraged prayer-filled mindfulness by proposing what we call examine. One of the few rules of prayer that he made for the Jesuit order, which he founded, was the requirement that they pray the examine twice a day, daily, once at noon and then at the end of the day. It's a habit that Jesuits and many Christians still practice to this day. I want to share it with you. And hey, it's almost noon, so perfect timing. The examine is a technique of prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's presence and to discern God's direction. So I'm going to read you the five steps. Oh, there they are. I don't even have to. Oh, I guess I'll read them for online. Um, but I'll elaborate on them as we practice it very briefly, like I said, together. So the first is to become aware of God's presence. The second is to review the day with gratitude. The third is to pay attention to your emotions. The fourth is to choose one feature of the day and pray from it. And the fifth is to look toward tomorrow. So I invite you to get comfortable. Some people like to close their eyes. Some people like to keep them open. Just be comfortable as we practice this together. Get settled in. And this will only take a few, mi few minutes. And like I say to people, I'll, like I, this is my new thing to say. If you, if this is not your struggle, if you have the perfect prayer life, you have won a free nap today. So that's my thing. You're always free to take a nap. I won't be offended and it won't be the first time. <laughs> but if you want to participate, here we go. I invite you to become aware of God's presence. Look back on the events of your morning or yesterday. 
and the company of the Spirit who dwells in you. It may seem confusing to you, a blur, a jumble, a muddle. Ask God to bring you clarity and understanding. You are invited to review the day with gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. It changes everything. Walk through your day in the presence of God and note its joys and delights. They're there if you look. Focus on the day's gifts. Pay attention to the small things, the food you ate, the sights you saw, and other seemingly small pleasures you may otherwise overlook. God is present in the details. Next, pay attention to emotions. Don't exclude them. One of the great insights of St. Ignatius was that we detect the presence of the Spirit of God in the movements of our emotions. They have something to tell us. Listen to them. Reflect on the feelings you have experienced so far today. Boredom elation, resentment, compassion, anger, confidence, disappointment, you name it. Ego aside, what could God be saying through your feelings? Choose one feature of the day of your thoughts you've just gone through and pray from it. On this day of Pentecost, ask the Spirit to direct you to something that God thinks is particularly important for you. It may involve a feeling, positive or negative. It may be a significant encounter with another person or a vivid moment of pleasure or peace. Or it may be something that seems insignificant. Look at it. Pray about it. Allow the prayer to arise spontaneously from your heart, whether intercession, praise, or repentance. And finally, look toward tomorrow. Ask God to give you light for the rest of this day's challenges as well. Pay attention to the feelings that surface as you survey what's coming up. Are you doubtful, cheerful, apprehensive, full of anticipation? Allow these feelings to 
turn into prayer and seek God's guidance. Ask God for help and understanding. Pray for hope. I want to remind us all today that the purpose of this and any type of prayer that we may talk about isn't to teach us how to pray as much as it is to remind us to pray, to connect with God. God is present and the spirit lives in us. You can use this method we've just used or not. There's no right or wrong way. My favorite reminder comes from Anne of Green Gables when she says, why must people kneel down to pray? If I really wanted to pray, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go out into a great big field all alone or in the deep, deep woods, and I'd look up into the sky, up, up, up into that lovely blue sky that looks as if there's no end to its blueness, and then I would just feel a prayer. When it comes to prayer, may the gift of the Spirit that has been given to you be your guide yourself. Whether you're in a Pentecost season or in the Valley of the Ordinary, know this Spirit will not lead you astray. Amen.